0: Oh, good morning. Look, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a particular section of the Bible, uh, which some people call uh, the Farewell Discourse. And that's from chapter 13 to the end of chapter 16, where we are this morning. And the reason why they call it the Farewell Discourse is because these are the last words of Jesus before he's betrayed and before he's arrested. And soon after that, he goes to the cross and dies and dies. And so these words are very profound um, and they're special to the book of John. And this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 16 from verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from verse 16 of John 16 down to the end of the chapter. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while. And you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now... You have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, That I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you were speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Lord, as we come to this passage of scripture, we come thankful that you have uh, kept this word for us, that in the 21st century, we might be able to know what happened on that dreadful night, but also on that blessed night where you shared these deep and profound truths with your disciples thank you so much for preserving your word so that we could look onto it and that we could believe with the disciples that you came from God. Help us this morning, Lord, to receive what your word says to us. Would we be comforted in this day and age by what you have said? Would we experience peace and joy? And would you help us, Lord, to take heart, even here and now, because you have overcome the world. Lead us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's been a, a pattern through this portion of the Bible where we find that disciples are disheartened. right? Their, their hearts are troubled. And the reason why is because Jesus keeps on telling them that he's going away. Sometimes he says, look, I'm going to give up my life. Other times he's saying, I'm going to the Father. And the disciples are very disheartened. They're troubled because of these things that Jesus says. And the pattern goes that Jesus would say this thing, they would be troubled, and then the Lord would comfort them with deep and profound but also simple truths, deep and profound things that they need to hear and today that we also need to hear. And this is the end of this section. This is where Jesus sort of brings everything to a close. And I wanna focus most of our time this morning on that last verse, that beautiful verse, verse 33. I'll I'll read it again. It says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I wanna ask a question this morning. And I want to answer that question this morning. This is the question. How in the world can we take heart? How is it that we can be cheerful? In in another Bible version it says, be of good cheer. How is it that we can experience that peace in this world? When Jesus says take heart, how is that possible? To understand that a bit more, um, Jesus says that, In this world, there will be tribulation. And what does Jesus mean when he says, in this world? He doesn't particularly mean the trees and the water. Uh, We know from the book of John, so often when Jesus refers to the world, what he's really referring to is the moral disorder, the godless, lawless, Christ-rejecting, God-rebelling world who is suppressing the truth of God, And rejecting him altogether when Jesus says the world he's referring to the fallen order of things and that's where he is at the moment with his disciples he's in that world where where there is moral decay where the world is morally bankrupt where the world is evil where's the system of um, rebellion against God that's where these disciples live And friends, that's where you and I live today as well. You live in that world. This is where you were brought up, in this world. This is where we are raising our children, in this world. This world that is rejecting Christ and is against God. So how is it then that we can take heart when Jesus says, you're going to be in this world, but not only that, this world is against me. And because it's against me, it's going to be against you. How then do we take heart? I want to give you two answers this morning, and they're going to be short and hopefully simple. The first answer is that God loves his people. And the second is that God is in control. And I want to show you in this text how I've arrived at those answers. Would you look at verse 27 with me? It says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, there are many ways to, to give a Christian a name. So the, the most famous one is a Christian. We call uh, a person who follows after Christ, who believes in Christ, a Christian. We, we can call them a believer. And, and um, Hunley's already mentioned that in the Bible, most often referred to as someone who is in Christ. And over here we find that it is someone who loves Christ and someone who believes in him. And what do they believe about him? They believe that he came from the Father. You and I came from this world. When when John refers to the world, remember this morally bankrupt world. You and I came from this world. Christ did not come from this world. Look at the next verse in 28. It says there, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus came from outside of this world into this world. You and I came from this world. And that famous verse you might might remember from John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse clearly says that God loves the world and when it says the world is referring to the same thing that I just mentioned about this um, verse here, where it says he has overcome the world. God loves this morally um, bankrupt place, but he loves it in a, in a particular way. He does not love it in the sense that he wishes to participate in the world. He does not love this world in the way that he enjoys what this world is doing. Instead, he loves this world in such a way he has provided rescue for this world and his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who did not come from this world but who came into this world. God loves these people who are perishing and every single person who was a believer was one of those people. Every single person who now follows Christ was a person who was perishing and those are the only people that God saves. God does not save perfect people. There is no need to save a perfect person. The cross means nothing for someone who is perfect. God only saves people who are from the world. People who are products of this evil system. People who were who rejectors of God. People who were disobedient, sons of wrath, children of disobedience. God only saves those people. God exclusively saves people from this place, Where you live, where you you were bringing up your children, where you were going to work, where you were going to school, in this world, he loved the world so much that he sent his only son. But my encouragement for you this morning is that if you are in Christ, again, verse 27, it says, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me. If you are a lover of Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you believe that he came from the Father into this world, then God loves you. let me just expand on that. A person who was in the world, you, before you came to Christ, you gave God absolutely no reason to love you. Not a single reason. A person in the world gives God no reason at all, not a single one, not even a shadow of a reason to love them. There is no reason for God to love someone in the world. But he loved us anyway, so that he sent His son. And let me turn that around. Jesus, the son of God, gave his father absolutely every single reason to love him. There is every single reason to love Jesus Christ for the Father. There is no reason not to love Him. God loves His Son perfectly and has every single reason to. On the other hand, there is no reason for God to love someone in the world. Not a single one. Not a single one. But He did it anyway by giving His Son. And now, watch this. If you are in Christ... If you are a believer, if you are a Christian who is living in this world, if you are someone who loves Jesus, then God loves you. Not in the same way that he loved you before, because he loved you before in a way that he gave his son for you. This verse here, where he says God loves you, he's not talking about that love where he loved a rebellious person that he gave his son to. Instead he's saying I love you because you are in you you are in Christ. Why can you take heart? Because if you are in Christ, God has every single reason to love you. Every single reason to love you. Though the world does not love you, God has every single reason to love you if you are in Christ. Isn't that encouraging? That you get this eternal, perfect love. But the problem is, you've lost the love of the world, which was shallow and superficial to begin with. The world no longer loves you because you are not a part of the world anymore. Instead, you are in Christ. And that's where the tribulation comes along. But isn't it great that we have traded the superficial, shallow love that the world loved us with, For this perfect and eternal love of God. Where he he now has every single reason to love us because we are in Christ. And that's huge. That's incredible. Let me turn that around to the negative. God's wrath that is so heavy that it will turn a mountain into powder was against you before you were in Christ. That wrath that was justly against you before you were in Christ was coming for you but now that you are in Christ the full wrath of God that was meant for you is spent fully on Christ on the cross and now we have traded the perfect and just wrath of God for this temporal this tribulation that is only for a time here on earth why why can you take heart because god loves you with a perfect love his wrath is no longer against you like hunley said before all sins have been forgiven past present and future god's wrath is no longer against you but now we have picked up the tribulation of the world the wrath of the world the anger of the world against christians because of their master so that's my answer number one why can we take heart because God loves us. The second thing I wanna talk about is the reason why we can take heart in this world that we live in, where we are raising our children, where we work, where we live, uh, where we move around is because God is in control. God is in absolute control Look again at verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I was trying to think of a good analogy that I could use um, to help um, illustrate what what this is saying. Um, And I I hope I don't put you guys off the Harbour Bridge. But I'm told that the, the person who designed the Auckland Harbour Bridge designed six other bridges. And they've all collapsed. Uh, Also, the outside lanes, there's four extra lanes. They're clip-ons. They were added later. Um, So they're they're not fully structural in the way that the the actual bridges. On top of that, his other bridges have fallen. Um, We do not serve someone who is asking us to go over something where he's failed to do what he's supposed to do. He's not saying, cross this bridge, I hope it works. He's saying, I have overcome the world. He has built a bridge that was perfect, that, ha- that will not fail, ever. Um, maybe something else that might help is, I was thinking of a, of a pilot who flies airplanes. Um, and I went on, the f- on my first airplane ride when I was 18 down to Wellington. And um, I was just thinking over the last week, what if that pilot came to me and goes, hey, I hope it goes all right out there, this is my first time. Are you alright? Maybe you should not be flying this plane. Uh, This is not Jesus. Jesus is saying, I have done this. I have overcome this morally corrupt world. I have come out triumphant. I have come out victorious. So take heart, because I am in control. This is not something that took control of me. This is something I took control of. Also, again, um, if we look back at verse 28... Sorry, go to verse 26. It says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. This is the eternal one of God. This is the one who in John chapter 1, it says that he was there in the beginning, that he created through Christ the world, the universe was created. This is who is saying, Take heart. It, it, it's, not your, it's not your best friend. Um, it's, it's not a counselor who is saying, Take heart. It is the king of the universe who designed the universe and who has taken control and said, I have overcome this. Why can we take heart? Why can we be cheerful? Because he's in control. Um, look up at verse 24. It says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Some of, some of the ways that we can think about prayer is that prayer is a confession that you are not in control. Prayer is you admitting that you do not have control over the circumstances around you. You do not have control of nature around you. And so you go to the one who does. Again and again, John has turned us back to prayer because prayer is us confessing that we are not in control and we are going to the one who is in control. Why can we take heart? Because he is in control. He has overcome the world. He is the one who designed the universe and he is the one who we go to in prayer because we confess that we are not sovereign, but he is sovereign. We are not in control, but he is in control. And so, in this farewell discourse, Jesus brings everything back to himself. Just moments before he's going to be betrayed and arrested, he does the most beautiful thing and points his disciples back to himself. He tells them what's going to happen in reality. This world is going to be against you. And by extension he's saying the same thing to us this morning this world will naturally be against you because the world is is rejecting christ therefore it it will reject the followers of christ jesus already said that they'll persecute you because they persecuted me they're going to kill you and think they're doing it in god's name because that's what they're going to do to me and here this morning i hope you're encouraged if you're a believer to take heart to be cheerful, to have not only peace that takes away the angst and all the anxiousness that you will feel in this world. See, Jesus doesn't just offer us peace. Peace is the thing that takes away um, our fear and our anxiousness in this world. But he also says that your joy will be full because you know that God is in control and he can answer prayer. So not only does he take away the anxiety, the trouble, but he also replaces it with something that will give us joy. So this morning, take heart if you are a believer because God loves you with an eternal love. This morning, take heart if you're a believer because God is in control. God has given you every single reason to be confident in him. And if you are not a believer this morning, he has given you every single reason to come to him and repent and believe in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much that you sent your son and that you loved us while we were your enemies. And now thank you, God, that in Christ you love us as your adopted children, as your friends. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people this morning to take heart because our master and our Lord has overcome the world that we live in. And soon he will make all things new. Help us to remember that we are loved and that we can trust him. Two of the most fundamental things that we need as human beings, love and trust. We can, love, or we can be loved by you with an eternal love and we can trust you because you are in control. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. Thank you so much for this word. Would you be glorified?